All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Coming in hot is presented by Botano. The game starts now. Here are your hosts, Brent Wallace, Jason York, and Bobby Ryan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Coming In Hot. Brent Wallace alongside Bobby Ryan as Jason York, we like to say, Bobby, on assignment. Well, is he teeing off today? I, I think so. No, yeah, Probably golfing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, although he's probably maybe picking out carpet samples for his new office. Let's hope so. And maybe, <laughs> and maybe he can fix the back of his, like, I, I can't look at his hockey skates anymore. So we got to work on that. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, we have, by the way, we do have Andy Sutton uh, waiting. We're going to bring him in just a sec. Um, I'm excited to have a chat with him because there's been lots of stuff I've always wanted to talk about. And the big one is the, uh, the expert conversation, because I'll tell you what happened to me, which is one of the worst moments in my career at that time. So we'll get into that in a sec. Um, We're going to hear this. Training camp is underway. Uh, and quickly, I just want to ask you, Josh Norris is in a yellow non-contact jersey, uh, but they said it's no big deal. Yeah. Is it a big deal for you for the first day of camp? They're saying, hey, he could play if he had to, but we're going to maybe not let him get hit. Yeah, not a big deal for me one bit. Um, I think when you have a guy that missed an entire year that wh- – what was the word? Was it tweak that they said? Yeah. Yeah. Minor. So he, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he probably but, bumped a guy in a weird way, and um, I don't read into it one bit. I think that um, you have really? to play that extra cautious. You have to. He had eight months. I I know, I know, I get it. He's. But you know what it seems to... like to the fan? To the fan, it's like, oh my god, because you always take injuries with a grain of salt by saying, if he's really being held out, then it's more of a bigger deal than we think it is. I don't think so. 
And I have okay. no inside knowledge. I should probably text them and get some for the show. But uh, <laughs> no, I, well, no I was hoping, but I wasn't going to ask you. Yeah, okay. No, I would uh, never do that to the player. You know that. But um, I, I don't read anything into it. I think he's going to be just fine opening night. All right. Perfect. That's all we need. We just need him in the lineup opening night. Um, yeah. Now, into our lineup, we'd like to bring in the expert, as we like to call although I'm sure he's tired of this by ad nauseum. It's been like 13 years. But Andy Sutton, uh, former Ottawa senator, welcome to the show. Hey boys, how you doing? I'm <laughs> good. How are you? I'm great, man. Just chill, chilling on the farm today. It's uh, it's a beautiful day in Tennessee, as Bobby will tell you. We're getting we're in a pretty good cycle right now. It is gorgeous. You're, uh, you know what? Yeah. Did you get enough olive oil in the skin this morning? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's all it's all about moisture, buddy. Moisture. Get a little bit a little bit of sun on the chest. Yeah. It ups the it. testosterone, Bobby. Three hundred percent. You get twenty minutes of sun, <laughs> sunshine on the chest. I saw, uh, I ran into Andy studio. yesterday, actually, or was that two days ago I ran into you? Yeah. 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 I, dro I drove by and, um, my girlfriend was like, I think that's your friend Andy. So we see him over there and the hair is done up. He's on a you know little lunch <laughs> with his wife at the same place I was headed. So I, him, I was like, the hair looks good. You were dialed in. Buddy, like the, the hair, the hair seems to precede me everywhere I go, but I don't do anything with my hair. I wake up like this. It's like, uh, I, I just roll, I roll with the mess. <laughs> you wake up with that quaff? Buddy, it just, I wake up like this. It just stands up. That's all it wants to do. I love it. Okay. Would yeah. you ever go back to the frosted tips that you rocked in, oh, a, in God. Atlanta? I, I see some of that sometimes, and it's a good thing I was tough. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> it was like I would have I probably kicked my own ass if I, uh, if I had the chance. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Uh, by the way, those who may not be familiar with Andy Sutton's game, here's a little bit of video if uh, – to let you know how Andy Sutton would play the game, which is a different time uh, back in the day. I don't know how many penalties this is, but they're all clean. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one's dicey. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's Nick Felino. Oh, I'm yeah. going to ask you about in a sec. He got Felino. Anyway. He got Felino. Full yeah. on Felino. Uh, listen, you you had a hell of a career, but it didn't. You didn't think you were going to the NHL, if I'm not mistaken, because uh, six weeks before you were working on your uh, engineering degree. Yeah, to be honest with you guys, I've told this story a million times. It never. It didn't really happen easily for me. You know, I I got a. I knew I wanted to get a scholarship. I knew I wanted to focus on education and hope to have a, a Division One hockey experience at the same time. I didn't have a lot of offers, um, but I, I took a partial scholarship to Michigan Tech, which was a division is a Division One program, and uh, I, I chose to study engineering while I was there, and and was you know right near the end of my my uh, my time there. Really, when when things sort of all hit, you know, through the first three seasons not much was happening for me. You know, I got a scholarship as a forward. Um, they converted me to defense my sophomore season. And that obviously took a while to figure out, especially uh, playing on Olympic ice. Junior year was nothing to write home about, you know, and I'd had a, a shoulder surgery the year before. And then, you know, I, the way I, in retrospect, I remember thinking before my final year at school, like this could be it for me. This is the last kick at the can. And Bobby, I'm sure you can attest to this too. There's that as a, when you're playing really well, there's that sweet spot between like, I care a lot and I don't give a shit. And mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's a threshold there where if you can, 
if you can rely on your instincts and you have a, you have a significant enough skill set, then that's where the magic happens and, and, and not overthinking things. And, uh, th- that's really what happened that year. You know, I, everything I touched worked. Um, I won defensive player of the year for the league and had 14 NHL teams offer me the, the maximum to sign. And think about that at the time, guys, in the late nineties, I was a six foot six defenseman at 245 pounds and I never got drafted. So, I mean, it's like, it's, it's crazy to think about now. Like, I don't know that nowadays I'd have slipped through the cracks, but back then, you know, it was, it, 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 you could, it could happen. You could go up into Northern Michigan and, and disappear for four years. And, and, and maybe people saw me the first couple of three years and were like, yeah, this guy's, he doesn't have it, you know? And then really the, the career was very much the same thing. I feel like, you know, I, I, I started out um, in San Jose with a team full of veterans back when veterans ruled the roost and, Daryl Sutter as a coach and that was a interesting experience I got in some trouble there as, as some young players do I I actually called Dean Lombardi a chicken shit um which was probably not the right thing to do while I was there and they they, they thankfully they they exposed me in the waiver draft and I went to Minnesota well then Jacques Lemaire and company tries to turn me back into a forward and I realized that that's not going to be the key for longevity for me so I you know at 24 years old I go to Jacques Lemaire and tell him that I think I'm meant to be a defenseman in the NHL. And they tell me there's no chance I'm going to play defense in the NHL. Well, that was, that was all the fuel I needed. So I went into Doug Risebrough and I can't even believe I did this on my own without my agent in retrospect, but I went in and asked for a trade very respectfully. I said, Hey, I think I'm meant to be a defenseman in this league. I think it's a key for me to have longevity. If there's anybody that would want me as a defenseman, if you'd be so kind as to trade me and, he traded me to Atlanta within a week. I landed in LA. My agent was there, and he's like, "You've been traded," and got on a bird. And I was in, I was in, uh, I was in North Georgia practice, practicing the next day with the Thrashers and as a defenseman. And that, that was kind of where it all took off for me. Not initially, you know, when I first got there, we were the worst team in the league. We couldn't get out of our own end. Um, that wasn't a great, you know, way to start as a defenseman. I think at that time I still thought I needed to fight a lot. Um, cause I, I got a little bit typecast, I think early in my career because I was fighting, but I mean, I was a college guy. I wasn't really meant, meant to do that. So part of it, and you know, I think any, any player has to figure out their identity and then the players that are most successful, are the ones that do that well enough where the coaches can rely on you. And I think that's sort of what started to develop for me in, in Atlanta under Bob Hartley. Interesting. So, uh, Jacques Lemaire wanted to make you a forward. Now, Jacques Lemaire known as one of the best defensive coaches in the game, right? And so I, that's an interesting dynamic for me. Were you a little uh, insulted? Wait, be- wait, wait, wait. Before you answer that. <laughs> Uh-oh. We, oh, played, we played together, and in what world were you a forward? <laughs> <laughs> you've, seen, you've seen my Mets, big boy. They're not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till next Wednesday. Me um, too. I can't wait. We, we have a good uh, – and Suts kind of runs the pro skate here – or. What do you what do you want to call it? The old man pro skate or it's it's pretty old man. I mean, Smitty Smitty and I were tooling around uh, yesterday, and it, it is we've got like I think when I played, I had maybe like maybe two and a half speeds. I'm down to like one and a quarter now. If if yeah. that, I've got like one one spin up the ice, and I'm dead. Same thing for Smitty, but it's it's fun. You know, Bobby is just like it's about staying connected and yeah. and getting out there. There's I say to people all the time, like ho- hockey, especially now when you're not doing it for a living is the only time that I'm doing a million things at once without thinking about anything. And it, it's a, yeah. you're free. You're like a kid, like a kid. And that was, that's the piece too. Like when, whenever I had success as a player, it was the same thing. Like I was kind of living in that space, just being more, you know, instinctual and, and just trusting myself and, uh, and just kind of free flowing with the game. 
but I, you know, it's, uh, I don't disagree with you, Bobby. I was, I, I was always meant to block shots and hit people and get in the way. I think. <laughs> well, I'm pumped. I'll be out next Wednesday. I'm a hundred percent guaranteed. I got the, I got the right away. I'm, I'm, I'm in. So, uh, right if all my, I don't know about you, but I have a tough time fitting into the gear. So I gotta, I'm, I'm on a cut program until I get to the, until I get there Wednesday. <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. We we can we can get you some gear if you need some. You need some double X pants or something like that. We can hook I'm you up. We're doing exactly what Randy Carlisle did in his last few years, and wear the wear the girdle without the or the, <laughs> the shell without the girdle. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Don't, don't mention that name, Jeepers Creepers. <laughs> oh, I was going to get to that at some point, comes, but maybe we'll. This. Yeah, Only maybe we'll just you. skip it. Uh, <laughs> by the way, do you still own alpacas? You know what? The, we had to rehome the alpacas. I did a little stint out in uh, South Carolina for a while, so we re, we rehomed the alpacas, and now we're back. And I'm actually in mid construction on this on this house, and we put the farm back together. I'd walk you guys over to the chicken coop. The chickens are here. We we run a little egg business for my son, and um, we've got five acres here in uh, in Franklin. So we're we're debating what animals we bring back. It got to the point where the farm started to become quite an encumbrance. I couldn't, I couldn't leave home. You know, it's like I needed a farm hand. I was like, what is going on here? This is not how I want to, I want to spend my days, you know, being, being uh, quarantined with alpacas, but uh, they're, they're, they're pretty incredible animals for sure. I, I just love all the stuff that you find yourself into, by the way, those who don't know, CEO of Vibero hockey, which we'll get to later, uh, makes all kinds of custom equipment. Um, you can check them out online, but we'll get back to that in a sec. Um, okay. So you get traded from long Island to Ottawa uh what are your thoughts honestly at the time i i was so happy i had a i had a great season in long island but we weren't we weren't making the playoffs um i was feeling great i was playing well and, and then to get to go in on a team that had the mm -hmm. the firepower that that team had at the time you know and to get to play with players like that and you know to be partnered with eric carlson and you know spending time with with bobby and you know and fish and and Spezza and Alfredson, I mean, the team was just so, so dynamic and had so many, so many weapons. And, you know, just un unfortunately, I guess we ran into the Pittsburgh Penguins in their prime. I mean, Bobby, you remember that series. I mean, I, I just remember that every single time I touched the puck, I got hammered. And, and they were like that. that. <laughs> you know, what's that? We played together in Anaheim, buddy. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, you weren't on that team. What am I talking about? Anyways, regardless, so so many stars. I forget them all, obviously. But it was it was that team was such a such a um, that so much firepower and and I don't I, I think if we'd made it through that we would have had a hell of a chance to go all the way. But I think they were I think they were deeper than we were. I think their their third and fourth line. You know, you, when you've got Chris Kunitz playing on your third and fourth line, I mean, it's it's tough to beat that team. Yeah, it it entertains me though the fact that you had. Uh, you, Matt Karkner, Anton Volchenkov, Chris Phillips, uh, and someone else on the blue line. Like you were the, I had to have been the meanest blue line in the NHL. Oh, beefy. Yeah, it was a beefy bunch, you know, but I, I think with the way the game was going too, you know, and you, you think about like this sort of more modern puck moving defenseman, I, I, I think we were, a lot of us were very similar players and that might have been problematic you know like you, you really if i'm putting a team together you cer certainly you want guys that are hard to play against but you need guys that can lug the puck out of this out of the zone a bit too and like you know make some evasive moves to make a you know make a good outlet pass and stuff like that I and mean, we might have lacked that a little bit obviously obviously eric made up for a lot of people's inadequacies but at the same point in time like try, trying to read off of what he was going to do was 
was no small task and then thankfully it was <laughs> it was mine but you know it was a, obviously an honor and to see the player that he's turned into is just uh, it's it's really no surprise after after having spent the time there playing with him Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com/acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com/acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H E L P. Did you think he was going to win three Norris trophies? Well, you know that that's uh that's crazy for starters that's crazy even just to say that but he there was there was such a when you could you just knew there was magic there like it was just magic anytime he got the puck like every everyone in the stands everyone on the bench just on on the tip you know on the tip edge of their seats because he he can just make it happen you know and he's he's fearless now he was fearless back then you know, rocking an upper decker and like just toe dragging guys <laughs> at the blue line as the last man, like he doesn't care, you know, and, and he's got the skills to, to pay the bills. And if he gets roasted, guess what he's going to do the next shift? He's going to do the same damn thing, but he's probably going to figure out a way to get the puck past the guy. You know, he's just, he's, uh, he's, he's got a very, uh, very good self-confidence and, and no new, even as a young player. I remember at that time that year, I was, I played at 265 pounds that year and Eric was 165 pounds at the time. So he'd always, he called me the old man. And I think I was 35 at the time, which is crazy. Like that you're an old man at 35, but you know, I had him, I had him by a hundred pounds and, and, uh, we were, we couldn't be a, a different st- more different styles of defense, but I, I think we made a nice, nice partnership when we were together. Mark, Mark, my thought would always say that he, Carl would get mad at him because he would expect him to understand the game at his level. Uh, did he ever snap at you because you didn't project of what he was going to do? No, I, I, I didn't, I saw it as my responsibility to, to insulate him in every way. Right. So like yeah. make sure he, make sure if anybody messed with him, I was in there, make sure that if he was trying something that I was, I was always kind of backing him up. Um, I was, I was very rarely trying to bust to get open and putting us in a, you know, in a, in a, in a sort of a double negative offensive position, like, cause you just never knew what was going to happen <laughs> with him. So I was, I was always kind of there just making sure I su- supported him. And I, I recognized very early what my, what my role was, you know, I think maybe, maybe Mark had, had some agendas of his own, but, but mine, uh, my agenda was to, was just really to insulate Eric. The, 
the triple over I'm gonna get to the expert thing in a sec. I know you're tired of <laughs> talking about it. But I was uh-huh. I was in that scrum, so I feel like we can chat about this a little more. Yeah. Um the triple overtime game with uh Matt Karkner scoring. I think you played 32 minutes that game, 32 or 36. Uh, can you take us through that game and what I guess guys are feeling? I think it's the longest game I, I've ever covered. Well, I I think I actually played close to 50 minutes because I think the only player that played more than me was Eric. I think Eric was at like, it was some crazy number. Um, it, but I, I can remember at the end of that game and thank, thank Jesus we won, but like I, I can remember I got pounded in the in the thighs like by Chris Kunitz like 25 times you know and every guy that on their team the the penguins were like they rolled in waves and they just played the same and even their skilled players banged you and it just it was very clear to me that if I'm honest in retrospect we were not going to make it through that series like you could just tell yeah. they had they had command and control they knew exactly what to do they were they were perfectly coached everybody had bought into a style of play and then they've got you know just absolute studs that can burn you if you get exposed and you know when you have Sidney Crosby on this I remember in the playoffs this was in Ottawa and the puck rimmed puck rimmed around from the coming in on their left side around to our right side. And I, I went back and pivoted. It was coming into my corner and I took an angle like to come and like meet, meet Sid in it, receiving the puck along the boards. And I thought I was going to smash him and he picked it up on his backhand and he, he spun, he spun away from me, like in one move. And before I could turn around, he was like four feet from the net. They didn't score, but I'll, I'll never forget just like, playing against him or other guys that I was fortunate enough to play against Bobby you were the same way like could just could just make something out of nothing and and just like totally expose you if you had just a little bit of the wrong angle or too much speed going in the wrong direction and just make you look like you're just like you know from a some kind of some kind of bush league or something like that playing against <laughs> the guys so I mean those, those guys were you know just always waiting and if there was a, the smallest mistake the puck was in the net and that's and you guys know that's all it takes at at that level and as you get further and further into the playoffs I mean these 2-1 games or you look at the way the LA Kings won Stanley Cups I mean you're talking about just you're talking about margins for error that are just so small so you know it's it's uh it's no surprise that those that those guys were you know perennial favorites for the Stanley Cup for shit probably a decade right yeah I would say I would say that and you talk about all the things that guys like Sidney Crosby do. He puts up a hundred lines. He does this. He sees things other players don't see. What never really get and you know when it gets talked about is when they show that clip against Jason Spezza where he goes back and forth three or four times before they score that yeah. weird goal. And that, that goal yeah. wasn't a great goal. He just he just you know he owned the puck. What he doesn't get a ton of credit for is that I and I don't know if I've played against a better player in my career than him from below the top of the circle in he is not only crafty he is the best puck protector i've ever seen it's unbelievable he he puts the puck to the next place before you're there and then he drops down and and spreads his um thighs apart and then gets his shoulder underneath of you and he's gone and he does it so fast and so well um so I mean, like when when you pick apart Sidney Crosby's game, you can't pick apart much. But nobody ever really talks about the fact that he is better than that, and every than everybody else too. 
Bobby, it's so true, you know, and, and he, he, he did such a good job of like using, like, I would always try to apply force to like dictate the direction where he would go. Well, all, all he would do, like in sort of like the principles of judo, like he'd use your force against you. You'd almost push him away from you, yeah. you know, and, and he's so low and so like, so strong in his base. Um, you, you really, you really couldn't have much of an effect on what he was trying to do. So it's more about containment and just trying to get, you know, get your stick in the way of the puck so he can't make a you know, filthy backdoor pass or something like that. <laughs> Because the other part of it is like he sees everybody. I mean, when he's yeah. doing that, he knows where every. It's not like his head's down. Like when I'm doing that in the corner, trying to get away from him. Like he's <laughs> he sees everybody on he sees everybody on the ice. So I mean, you just got to be you just got to be so careful. And really, like the only way to beat a, a, a player like that, and especially when there's several of them on the ice, it's you just got to beat them by committee. The whole the whole group yeah. has to has to swarm and just make sure that you're you're tight defensively. All five guys have to be sort of like inside the face off dot to make sure you that, have a that nothing's right. Yeah, you got to blanket them. It's the only way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, be, all right. So, biggest hit of your career is it Jordan Leopold's or is there a different one? No, there's a different one. I hit I hit Chris Stewart in Colorado, and uh, I heard Stewie after then. He was like 240 pounds, and I think I, you know that. I think he said uh, it was the hardest he's ever been hit in his whole career. But that that hit in particular, he came up and I got him in the same spot I always get everybody. He had his head down, and I got, I caught him like more with my side. I equate that hit to like if you took two bags of 250 pound bags of cement and swung them down from the rafters and they met at the blue line, that's what it was like. He, he went off the ice. He couldn't breathe. I felt like I was going to die. Um, you know, the, the hit, the hit on Leopold was, was probably the most violent hit that I had. I think that year that I came to Ottawa, I think I knocked like 10 people out cold and open with open ice hits. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty nasty year. I had a lot of great hits that year. And, and that one, that one, like looking at it now was so dirty. I mean, the, the head being the principal point of contact. I mean, at the same point in time that, that, if you watch that, if you watch that hit, to at full speed i mean just how quickly that happens you know and and what people don't understand is like how how fractional that is like to catch the you know catch that player even even be able to make that play you know i i had a i had a good knack of being able to pivot from backwards to forwards and move and move to close that gap very quickly and when you know when i had the confidence to do to do so and step up you know if i had there was good back pressure and stuff like that i would i would just i would just go for it and you know he it was also the you know the uh, the energy of that of that time oh in the God. playoffs and trying to make something trying to make something happen to to sort of spot to spawn something on for the team and you know I think the the commentator had said maybe five minutes before like oh Sutton's been very quiet this series yes. you know and and then all of a sudden it was just like you know it was it was on and I I went in the bench and in hindsight I kind of wish I dummied Crosby when he came up to greet me you know I <laughs> that would have been like the that would have been the the cherry on top you know he was the first one in there but. It, I was still kind of, you know, settling myself, getting out of the penalty box and, you know, making sure my knee wasn't wrenched when I fell in there. But it was uh, definitely a definitely a moment in the series. And I, you know, I, I say this often too now, like looking back at it and it was that was part of the game. They paid me to do that. It's partially why I was paid. I, I think about Jordan now more than anything, and he's got a family and hopefully a long life ahead of him. And I just, you know, we all know guys that have struggled with stuff relative to concussions. We probably all have, and and it's uh, it's pretty scary stuff. And I, you know, I, I think about I think the game's in a better place now that there isn't so much of that type of stuff going on. But I mean, I, I came up in the '90s. I mean, so I, I grew up and and when I went to San Jose, Brian Marchment was there. 
you know, rest rest his soul. And he's a guy that I got to watch just put the fear of God into other other teams, you know. And and when Mush was on the ice, like you 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 didn't go go through the neutral zone with your head down. I mean, you, if you did, you were dead. And you know, that's that's what I sort of wanted to emulate. I wanted to be that guy. And and then the shot blocking kind of was a was an evolution of things. I realized that I I could get in the way. And you know, I I remember my first couple of years. If I was in front of Mike Vernon and I was in his way, he he would chop me in the back of my legs. He was on my team, for God's sakes, right? So the goalies did not want you in the way. They didn't want you ramping shots, right? They didn't want you putting your stick out because you invariably changed direction. And they definitely didn't want you going down trying to block a shot. And the guys would say, like, Owen Nolan would be like, he's like, bud, like, Bernie gets paid a lot of money to stop the puck. Just get the fuck out of the way, you know? Like, So, you know, that was sort of, like, bred by necessity. And I think as, as – uh, as I started doing that, I think it became it became uh, it became much more of an asset to teams. And now you see, like you've got to you've got to almost get it through, you know, five sets of legs to get it on net from the point. I mean, everyone's a shot blocker now, and yeah. I think that's uh, that's that's pretty cool. It makes it a lot harder to score, but the, there's definitely been an evolution there. I gotta before you move on, Wally. I gotta see if even Sutch remember this. So you get you were with us, obviously, and then you get traded to Edmonton, um, and we played Edmonton in the it was either the last or the second to last game of the season. I can't remember which. And we were in Anaheim and Sutz had a chance to absolutely kill Tamu. Um, and didn't, obviously you don't want to send a 39 year old into um, the summer or the end of his career, whatever it might be with a concussion. But I didn't let up on Corey Potter when the puck came around. I stepped off the bench I took about four strides down the side of the bench and Corey Potter tried to pick up a puck like this. And, <laughs> and I was, I was in the trade rumors at that point. Right. I didn't want to get traded. Who wants to leave Anaheim? Honestly. Right. <laughs> when you're thinking about it. Um, and I, I was, you know, I just scored my 35th or 34th, whatever it was. I was, I was having a, I had a good year, even though we kind of fell short of the playoffs at that point. And I absolutely, buried this poor guy like he i mean any you know a guy probably getting a couple freebie games at the end of the year i felt terrible about it down you know after the fact did you bobby did you really no, no come on no, bobby no, no. i know you i know you better than that well i crushed him and he did not get up quickly and i start skating to the net and who do i meet at the net but andy and i'm going oh fuck and Andy's got, you know, he's got the lumber up and um, he's into my back and he's like, are you kidding me? You piece of shit. <laughs> Yelling at me. <laughs> so, and I'm going, Sutz, I'm trying not to get healthy scratched. It's all, you know, we're <laughs> like, we're trying well to then Bobby, then do you remember Perry? I think we had the, we had the goalie pull. It was like a close game and, and pair, pair being the worm that he is, he's still trying to score an empty netter and he like stripped the puck and I, and I lost it behind the net. Do you remember that? I, I attacked Perry. Like, I was just like, I always, I always had such a, like, I always had such a hard on when I played against all teams that I came from. And I really like when I signed in Anaheim and it, it really sucks the way it went down because like, I, you know, I, I turned down, I turned down a, a two-year contract at the end of the year there when I was with Ottawa, because I wanted to test the free agency market and they never came back around. The Sens never came back around for agency. They, they offered me at the end of the year, but then never came around. And, and that was a serious option for me to come back to Ottawa but I had said look respectfully like 
I'd really, if, if you're interested, I hope you're still interested in like, uh, but I, I need to, I need to see this through because at that time for me, like I was like, I, I kind of want to go West. You know, I kind of want to live. I was 35 years old. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm fortunate enough to sign another deal at that age. Like I kind of want to go to the rink and flip flops for a bit. Right. So <laughs> at, at the time I said to my agent, I said, leave me a job with the ducks of the Kings. I said, I don't really care who. Um, I had a one, I had a one-year deal offer with the Kings and I got a two-year deal offer with the, with the ducks. And we went back to the Sens and, and they were, they weren't in the picture anymore. So it's funny how these things happen. And then, you know, lo and, lo and behold, I ended up going to, going to Edmonton at the end, at the end of my career, which, you know, I always had this, I always had this interpretation of what it would be like to play there too. And, and, uh, pr- probably negatively to be honest. And, but I, I get going there. It was, it was one of the most enjoyable times of my career, you know, being a, being a 37, 38 year old and, pl- you know, playing with all those first rounders, first overall players. And, and then like, like in Ottawa, the, the fans are so, they're so educated, they're so passionate, they're so into the game. Um, and I, it was just really a, a wonderful way to go out. And I, I felt like a, you know, I had a mentorship role there and sort of player coach type of role. And it was, uh, as much as I didn't get to choose, you know, how my, how I went out my final game because I had a, I had a career ending injury training for the what ended up being the lockout season that I never and then I just never came back so I didn't get there was no there was no swan song or anything for me the last game I played was uh I this is a funny story I they, they'd been scratching me for like 30 days because they were playing all the kids we missed we'd missed the playoffs for like two months and uh they, they had scratched me. I didn't play for like I hadn't played for a month or five weeks and uh, I've been so I'm 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 drinking, I'm having a good time, like every road trip. Like, and we were in Calgary, and the game finishes in Calgary, and I'm on the well, on the plane on the way to Vancouver for the last game of the year. And Steve Smith comes up, he's like, "Sutsy, uh, you got to play tomorrow." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, fuck, fuck you, Smith. I'm not, I'm not playing, right?" He's like, "No, no, 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 you're you're playing tomorrow." I was like, "You've got it, you dude, you've got to be kidding me." So I play that final, what ends up being my final game in the NHL. And I hadn't played, like I said, in four to six weeks or whatever. And I'll, my only thing was like, don't get injured and screw your summer up. <laughs> you <know? Yeah>. So, <laughs> but, yeah. so then, you know, we had the year end meetings that year and Tom Rennie, who I loved as a coach was a head coach there in Edmonton at the time. And he, and he says to me, he says, uh, and I had signed a one year extension. So I was going to be 38 that next season. I was definitely like, you know, definitely, you know, living, living, uh, living out the end of my career. I knew it was happening. And I was so, so I was ever more thankful of it, but he says, Sutsy, you're only going to play like 35, 40 games next year. And I said, Tom, you know me better than that. I'm not going to accept that. So I go into that summer and I'm training harder than I've ever trained before. And I end up snapping off a piece of the base of my femur in my knee joint, doing a bunch of box jumps and stuff like that. Bobby, you might remember, cause I think I was skating with you when that was going on. So I get in, I get into, uh, I, I get it gets like two or three weeks before um, they're gonna they end up locking us out and my my agent at the time he says you got to get on a plane to Edmonds so I go in they do an MRI and the the orthopedic surgeon comes in and he looks he literally looks at me and goes what the hell have you been doing <laughs> like he thought I was you know messing around or you know got in a car crash or something so he he told me what happened and and it ended up being being the uh, being the end of things for me which is which is pretty crazy in hindsight. Still almost played 700 games. Uh, which was a, an outstanding career. So, Andy, I need to go back to this. I know we only have you for a short time left. Uh, Gavin, let's play the sound so we can uh, discuss the one thing that Andy Sutton may be tired of hearing in his career. <laughs> are you asking me or are you telling me? No, I'm asking. You are an expert? No, it was on the replay. So you're an expert? No, it was on the replay. So you saw it, you're saying yes. you saw it, it's on, you're an expert? Yes. You're not an expert, so we'll... No, I'm not an expert, I'm saying I saw it. I'm asking, did you know you got your elbow up? You're telling me I got my elbow up? It was on the replay. You're an expert. You know it was up. <laughs> okay. That's it, guys. Thank you. 
Okay. So it's incredible. I wait before uh, you talk, the eye roll yeah. is incredible. Knowing Sutz, I'm like, that's the best eye roll ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So that's the eye roll. So Andy, before while this is going on, but this is a heated playoff series. This was a huge hit. Everybody's angry now from the Pittsburgh media. We're in Pittsburgh, obviously. I'm dead center, getting ready to chat with you. Mike is up. My cameraman, all of a sudden the camera dips. And when oh, did we lose? And when it dips, I know that something's wrong. He's now, while this is going on, this is the greatest sound bite I think I've heard in my entire career. He's at the back of the locker room trying to fix his camera. I have none of the sound. So you don't see a TSN mic there anywhere. All you see is Ian Mendez and the Sportsnet mic. And so we had to get it from Sportsnet later. But I miss or we don't have it recorded. Uh, have we lost Andy? Not Did looking the, good at the moment, is it? What is it with the Nashville internet service? If he's out on the... I don't know exactly where he lives, but he said he's out on the farm. So, um, I mean... You're going to you're going to love me when I tell you about the situation at my new house that I just found out about. <laughs> we'll, we'll save no, that for I, off the record, but I don't want to know right now. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. Um, I, I, well, let's hope he pops back. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, there guys. So I got a FaceTime call. It kicked the whole thing out. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was you know, what the, the, the emotions were so high at that point in time. We, we lost the game. So I was already pissed. And then this guy tries to trap me. And I know there were probably a lot of good questions coming, especially from the Ottawa side. And and it was just you know how it, you guys when you're in the playoffs, your emotions are running, running so high. And, yeah. and I that 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 interview and that the expert thing is it, it's it doesn't really I'm not tired of it. It's actually like, I don't know, you, you know, you're so passionate and you're in it and you're, you're, you're living it and you're, and you're going, you're going after it. And so it just reminds me of, of how, you know, how intense it it all was and how meaningful it all was at the time. Because like, this is the, one of the things that I find so fascinating and Bobby and I have talked about this, you know, when we retire, when we stop playing, we're so used to the energy being high. And a lot of times, you know, we start to, we start to self-medicate and we, we don't know how to, how to, how to stop that cycle of, of, uh, of, of the, of the highs and the lows. And so we actually, we actually create it manually. And, and I, I think that, you know, that's all that really makes me think about and, and, and the guys, you know, the guys that have, that have struggled. And I, I mean, I, I struggled when I was done. It did no, people don't hear about it. They don't live, live through it, you know, so publicly. Um, but it, I think we all deal with it on in one way or another. And it's, it's all part and parcel to that, you know, the intensity and the real world isn't, it isn't, isn't like that. We're not measured in 45 second increments. You know, we're, we're, you have to take a more of a, more of a global ap approach to things and, and really sort of play it long. My, my day, Bobby, like your day now, like there's, there's nobody watching what I'm doing, you know, except for my yeah. son, you know, so I kind of look at it that way more and then really just try to divide everything now by, you know, by a, by a bigger number to, you know, try to, try to play it long and really own my space because while we're playing, that's the other thing. Like we're told what to do, where to go, how to be, what, you know, all that stuff is planned for us. Well, then when you have an abundance of, you know, really money, free time and a, and a lack of structure, that's not good. That's not good for people. You know, so like stuff like our skate on Wednesday, Bobby, like as, as trivial and as ridiculous as it might be, it's, it's, in, it's in, these, these pillars that we can recreate as, as, as ex-athletes, 
are so important and the people we choose to be around that can support us and that, and that love us, you know, Bobby, like that mean for me, like to be able to look, look after you and help care for you and your, in your journey and, and vice versa. It, it, that feels meaningful to me now because we, we really did. We lived it and we were in a, we were in a special fraternity and, and I think nobody knows, nobody knows more what it's like than, than players or, or media that, that followed, that followed it all around. So, you know, it's, it's, a uh, I feel I feel so honored by the game, and I feel so honored to still be part of the game, um, and and to be able to to impart the wisdom that I've that I've that I've uh, been so fortunate to learn over the years into into what I do now. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't. Have, I mean, everything you just said was just absolutely perfect. So I'm not even going to elaborate, but uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And um, it's 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 funny when you when you leave the game, whether it's under your own accord or not, or however it goes and however you kind of move on, I think people forget that um, we we go 150 miles an hour to zero very, very fast. And uh, yep. yeah, it gets lost in translation sometimes. So people are like, why is this person struggling? But they don't understand the fact that uh, our lives were regimented to the yeah, yep. to the minute, to the minute. And if you played for the Randy Carlisle, to the second. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you the adjustment period's hard, man. It's 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 a grind it is and, and bobby more to the point like in the, these sort of pillars that we talk about and even even what you're doing here and the and the listeners that that listen to you guys it's so important that that we we uphold bobby and his new identity too you know and give him a, a place where he feels worth because we feel we, we we feel so much worth and when we're playing and then we're it's also ripped from us very quickly you have a bad game or a bad shift or you're put on waivers or you're traded and people don't understand what that's like to have your have your life so jostled about and i think the you know the average fan who looks at him like well but you make all kinds of money but then you've got to evaluate that against a lifetime do you really make so much money like over the over the course of a lifetime because so many of us give up everything you know like my my body hurts every day i i you know you said i played 700 games well i played for 16 seasons so i mean do the math i mean and when i went into when i went into long island it took me 40 days to sign and i went in the and first thing i said to garth snow who i, who I know, knew a little bit uh before i signed i said hey snowy you got a you got a great deal on me hey eh? he looked at me and like without batting a guy an eye he goes he goes what the fuck do you mean he said you only play 35 games a year you're the highest paid player in the league <laughs> and and he was right you know i was i was always in i was in a walking cast all the time i was you know uh, constantly lit up and i still i still suffer those things today and that stuff goes on and 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 then there's the you know the emotional stuff and you know all the the head stuff and and we, we just really like there can't be any shame in all of it and we need to we need to support each other more people need to people need to support the athlete more too because we're not i understand we're entertainers in a lot of regards but there's there's a there's human beings in there too and and it's really important that we uh that we understand that agreed totally especially because yeah. you guys are young right like, yeah you can your careers are over before you're 40 and think of how much longer you have to go. You go from the bright lights of everybody chanting your name. Like, Andy, you played 24 games in Ottawa, and everybody remembers you. Like, yeah. you've left a mark. And so that's what you guys have done across the league is left a mark mm -hmm. with people. So uh, I totally appreciate the uh, the quiet of the, the back rooms when all the lights are down and uh, you're wondering what to do yeah. next. That's a, that's a daunting task sometimes. It, it is. And, you know, the, the one piece and Bobby, I'm sure you can attest to this too, you know, and, and I don't, I'm not going to go down a rabbit hole here, but like we pay all kinds of money into yeah. the players association as an example, or we pay our agents all kinds of money. Well, when the music stops, there's really nobody around to support you, guide you. And then more importantly, there, most athletes don't have the foresight to put structures in place so that you come out of it and you've actually got 
places to pour your intensity. And that's the biggest piece is like, we're, we're intense people. That's the only way you make it to that level. You've got to, you've got to be an absolute savage, right? So now you have to have somewhere to put all, all that energy. And, and I'm so thankful that, you know, I was able to, 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 to go dive into business and bu business has become that thing for me. It's, it's endless. And now it, it's all cerebral. So even if my body rots, I can still, you know, I can still do deals and do things that are meaningful, work on my brand, um, you know, and really just, really just sort of, uh, connect and build a team that way, you know, and, and with, with Berbero now and what I do, the team that I've built and it's very selective too. It's, it's the, it's the big piece that I missed. And, and Bobby, you can attest this too. Like we got so much from that locker room feel too. all the time yeah. spent with our, with our buddies and all the camaraderie and all the, you know, all the ribbing and, 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 and chirping each other and all the, all the good stuff, you know, the travel, all the different places we got to go and stuff like that. It's like, you know, I, I feel really fortunate that I've been able to put that back together. And, and, and that's been a big source of support for me, for me, as I sort of say, you know, segue into my 50s now into the 50s wow into the 50s baby <laughs> into the 50s. um andy i know you got to go but do you have sec to talk about Verbera? I, I don't have to go i i, I move i move my stuff around I'm, okay. I'm wide open for you guys whatever you want to talk okay. about so then i i, I want to go back to the expert stuff uh because i talked to phil lego who was the pr guy who ended that for you and i said phil what do you remember 13 years later and he goes oh my god because I couldn't apologize more to Andy after that was done. So what was said in the room uh, behind the locker room afterwards? To, to be honest with you, I was, I was just pissed that, that this guy tried to trap me. Like I, I would have hoped at that point in my career that there's like more respect and there was so the stakes yeah. were so high and, and yeah. I, I wasn't going to, I wasn't, I didn't, didn't need to be trapped into like, you know, announcing that I'd gotten my elbow up and, and really it was, it was very irresponsible of, of that, of that, uh, of that, uh, journalist or media guy, whatever you want to call it, th yeah. that, that he came at me that way. It was very, it was very reckless what he, what he was doing. And at that time, and, you know, I, I felt, I felt really angry. Um, and I, but then at the same point in time, like you got the next game to think about. So you, you kind of, you kind of curb it. And it's, it's interesting to me, I guess, or ironic that, that that's the thing that, that follows me oftentimes, or, you know, it's a very strange thing now as a, you know, I, I, I hockey doesn't, despite the fact that I work in hockey, my career, my life there, doesn't really, it doesn't really come up as much as you might think. Like, I don't think anybody really cares about much about athletes after they're done. Like I, I think like people will, they'll, they'll be interested in the stories if they're hockey people, but I don't, I don't often talk about it. So it's, it's, it's more, uh, it's more interesting to me, I guess, that that's the thing that, that, that walks in the room before me. And I guess yeah. my, it's my, it's my worry that maybe that, you know, somebody might, might assume that there's arrogance or, or something there that really is not the case with me i don't think i'm an arrogant person I, I think that video makes me look like i might be arrogant but that's uh that's sort of secondary to the facts so i'm so i, I i'm in that scrum so i completely understand what it's like one when it's the playoffs the two media sides tend to actually be part of the team they become oh yeah one of the, right so the questions become a lot more slanted although i that's the only time i can ever remember somebody made a statement as opposed to ask a question like the guy, all the guy had to say was, what did you think of that hit? But instead, yeah. he's like, did you know you got your elbow? I'm like, yeah. so I'm hearing this. I'm like, what kind of question is this? So yeah. uh, you could, this, the tension was out. Like, if you, if you, if for a media guy, it was an outstanding environment, but it was <laughs> wild to be involved with. I will say that. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, yeah. And, and I won't either, you know, and you, you back a, you know, you back a, 
an angry lion into a corner. It's, it's not, it's not great, you know, and I was already, I was already there, like a, a blood was all over my face. And I was like, you know, like you, you just don't go at somebody like that. Or maybe that's the way he's trying to make a name for himself. You know what I mean? He's going to be the guy that, that, you know, causes me to lash out at him or do something. And I can, I can see how that might be a strategy too, you know, but, and you're right. Like the, and in particular in Ottawa, the, the, the entire staff there, um, it, it was unbelievable so professional and it was it was one of the things that i really took away from my time in auto just how how professionally the team is run but then again like you have daniel alfredson as your captain it's it's kind of hard not to pull the tote the line i mean yeah. you you want to talk about like you know the greatest players that i ever played with or against he, he's at he's at the top of that list hands down i mean the, the guy is just they just embodied everything that it was to be a pro every skill set you could ever need to to excel at the game i mean just just nasty to play against fil- filthy from a skill standpoint like would would, would could hurt you could score against you would uplift his teammates like just unbelievable leadership and the, these things these you know this these things le- come from the top when you have a great program it it starts at the top and you've got to have your you got to have your best players be your be your biggest leaders interesting so when you came in the room the next couple of days, were you being called the expert by your teammates? <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't know if guys were. I don't really remember. I think you know, you're so like you're so hardwired to just yeah. like be a little bit um, hyper focused, I guess, and and very maybe in a certain ways too. Like, and maybe this feeds back into too, Bobby, like the the issues that we have when we're done. Like, there's a very there's a very narcissistic component to being a pro athlete too because like everything's about what you need your hydration your sleep your nutrition you're this you're that and you've got all kinds of people that feed into that well then when the when it stops like the real world yeah. doesn't care if you're hydrated or not like they're like <laughs> you know you get some water dude like like you, 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 we've got nothing for you here so i don't know I, I think i think the you know that's that's the thing i remember the most is just like how much the the media team there did a great job at, at mitigating things and and really just you know setting everybody up for success yeah you're at the uh, gas station asking the peanut cup to test if you're hydrated or not eh? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> we used to exactly. do that monday wednesday friday in ottawa <laughs> <laughs> yeah no kidding so, yeah get out of this shell <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh okay your first fight so you're a college guy and all of a sudden now you're in the national hockey league and you're fighting your first fight's jerome ginla if i'm not mistaken at what point did you like was it tough for you to become a fighter? Because in college, there's no fighting. Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, and fighting, ironically, like is, is in large part probably the reason why I made it. Um, and I remember even going back, like I was, I didn't make my midget team. I got cut. And so I went and played in Gananoque, Ontario, like junior B. I still remember there was a guy on my team and he came in, he had a big duster he had a day job. He had baby mama drama. And I remember coming to that team and I was 15 years old playing junior B. And, and, and I, I learned the ropes like playing in this league where like we go, you'd go into Wellington and I mean, you'd skate out of the corner and you'd be at the, you'd be at the red line. I mean, it's like the smallest rink in the world. They were trying, they try to kill you and go in there. So I had to like learn how to survive in that as a young person. And then at, at the end of my second year, there was a, there was some kind of tournament series and I got invited to go play in this tournament series. And, and I still at that time was like, you know, I'd really love to get a scholarship. And I knew that St. Michael's College in Toronto was like the place to go. It was there and like some, somewhere out in BC were like the two places that were, or Wexford, were like the, maybe the three places you could go where you were probably most likely to get an opportunity. And I went to this tournament series and there was four teams that played and it was a round robin style on a weekend. And I remember this, this OHL guy, Ken Boone, he, try, he picks a fight with me at center ice 
all the other teams are watching and I I beat the shit out of this guy like as bad as I've almost beat anybody in my life well Dave Barrett who was the head coach of the St. Michael's buzzers was there watching and that's how I got into St. Mike's well then that's how I got into Michigan Tech and then when I when this is an interesting story when I when I went in with the Sharks the same thing happened I went into the first rookie camp I'm skating to go off the ice and at center ice one of the guys and you know another Sharks prospect sticks me at center ice he's like you want to go I'm like, yeah, sure. So we're at center ice and the entire Sharks brass is sitting up like 10 rows above at center ice. And I destroy this guy, like literally destroy him. And I, I didn't think much of it at the time, but I come, I come out after the skate and I'm like going wherever I'm going to the training room or something like that. And John Ferguson comes down and he's like, he's like frothing at the mouth. He's like, that's what we need around here. He's like literally losing his mind. And then we go into training, training camp that year. And I fight like Bill Heward and a couple other guys. And I do, I do well, like fighting these men. And then the, the thing that happened to me, which was crazy in hindsight. So Brant Myers was our tough guy. Well, Mizey's in the substance abuse program. Mizey's a dear friend. He's been a dear friend of mine uh, for, for, since since that time, and he he gets he gets pulled. He gets he gets suspended. So now we don't we don't have a tough guy. And they're like, oh well, this this guy's had a few good fights. Like we'll just put him up on the wing on the fourth line. And I'm fighting like Scott Parker and like all these guys. And I'm like, you know, and you'd fight Scott Parker. I mean, I just I can remember. Uh, I think I fought him three or four times in, in over the next two years. You know, I fought Ty Domi, like all these guys. And I'm just like, what? what am I doing? I always could always hang in there cause I was big and strong. I don't think I was ever like a, like a killer, like a heavyweight, but I could, I could get by. So I think early on I got, I got kind of typecast, but then it, it also like longer term, it bought, it bought me space. And then I could, I could pick and choose like, and then when I started playing defensively against top, top lines, I was fighting Jerome McGinley and Vinny LeCavalier and some of these guys that were big, like big, strong power forwards. And then it really was like, oh, wow, this guy's even more valuable. He can, he can defend top lines and he can also like send, send a message and irritate these, these skill players enough that, that they want to, that they want to fight him or they're going to try to jump him or whatever. So it's like, I think, I think it had helped me in a lot of ways, like that I, that I wasn't afraid to do that. And then there were other times, like being honest, like I, I was a top defenseman in Atlanta for five, six years. There were other years where Anaheim included, where I ended up being like a five, six, seven defenseman and fighting helped keep me in the lineup or it gave me that next opportunity. So, you know, it was, it was something that I, I think I always knew and I could always protect my teammates. If something ever happened, I, I never thought twice about it. Like I was always in there to, to, to sort of work, just sort of, you know, help out where I could there. And I think at the time for me, it was an important component to me sort of being like a, a community and figuring out the, the ways that I could extend my career. And that's what it was for me. I wasn't like Bobby, you know, where I had, you know, I, I had so much opportunity and, and everybody knew I had like so much skill and all I had to do is give him ice time and he's going to score 40 goals without even trying. You know, it's, it's, uh, it was different for me. I had to like, I kind of had to carve out that identity for myself and then kind of reinvent myself many times, depending on which team I was on or which coach, I, which coach I was, I was under and, and that type of thing. So it's, uh, it, it was all kind of part of the, the identity, I guess, that I had to, that I had to carve out. The only time I was ever scared of Andy Sutton is when he absolutely came about this close to beating the wheels off of Saku Koivu in a playoff practice. Because <laughs> I was on his oh. line and Saku, Saku was pissed off. And I'll never forget Andy. Andy's yelling, I haven't played in three weeks, you little shit. 
<laughs> and like, yeah. and you were chasing him out of the corner because Sak- I mean, Saku had a temper. Temper. Oh yeah, he, yeah. And he, yeah, he, 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 he would whack hurt. you. He 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 slashed oh, yeah. me pretty good. And you know, I I, I was froth it. I was frothing at the mouth because Randy had me all. Randy Carla had me all wound up. And you know, I I it's it's ironic how these things go because when I when I got into Anaheim, I, obviously I'd come off that great year and with the Sens and and I when I started the season, I was I was partnered with Lubomir Vesnovsky and I was in the top pair and like that's what was going to happen. You know, I was at the time, like Randy was, was thinking of making me the assistant captain. And I, and I shatter my thumb in, in seven places, the first game of the year against Detroit, mm-hmm. I came back too early. You know, I look back at these things now and, you know, I had a big cast on my hand and I stuffed it in the glove and I'm going to come back and play. Cause God damn it. Like I need to get out there. And I played like shit. You know, I, I, I had no, my hands weren't good enough to also have a cast on and play in the <laughs> NHL. Like I had no business being out there. I muffed a pass in front of the net first game, Patrick Scharf roops it. We lose the game. Like it just started on a bad foot and I missed like 38 games or something that had surgery on my thumb. And it just never really, I never really got back in the fray there as much as I would have, I would have loved to. And then, you know, Randy starts sitting me out and Bobby, you re- you remember this, like he's, he's the kind of guy, like. I don't want to go down a super rabbit hole here, but like the kind of guy that tries to exert control by like embarrassing you. And I'm at this time, like I'm in the league 15 years and he's dressing me for warmups, knowing full well, I'm not going to play just because he wants all the, as many ducks as he can get on the ice to make the ducks look scary and warm up. You're standing around on the ice. So you don't have, you don't take a turn like with any of the three on twos or like, you're kind of just like, you feel like an absolute you know heel when you're out there. And it just like kind of went from bad to worse. Your confidence goes down and you just, you know, you just can't really write the ship sometimes. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I won't speak on Randy too much, but I'll never forget <laughs> you chasing Saku off that out of that corner. <laughs> well, that that stuff's a regret. And like I was always, I was always kind of like I, I'd get like progressively crazier, like when when stuff like that was going on. Because again, like I needed an outlet for my, you know, yeah. for my my energy back then. And and when to sit me out was not a good, it was not a good thing. It wasn't good for anybody, you know. So like, well, then would... you start. I'm sitting there and I'm like, who's going to stick up for him? Cause his other line mates, Tamo. So I'm sitting there going, I'm not like, I'm the only guy that's, you know, at least yeah. within realm here. So I was like, Hey, such stop. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think they blew, I think they blew it down. I think Randy was like, so what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, and I'm just like, I'm just frothing at them. I was so mad. You know, I'm just like, I'm just, I'm, you know, we're about to start playoffs and I'm just like, I want to play, you know, like yeah, it was uh, just, uh, it, it, sometimes it was hard to be the, to be the teammate guy. Like I was never, that was never who, who I was. I'm not, I'm not a cheerleader. Like I want to be out there. I'm a gladiator. Like I want to fucking play. Like I don't want you, I don't want to sit on the sidelines and watch people do the job that I think I should be doing, you know? And I think as an elite athlete, I mean, if you're ever comfortable sitting on the sidelines, you're, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, someone in the chat just wants to know uh, who had the meanest jab. Are you talking about, uh, talk about fighting or are they talking yeah. about, Oh geez. Well, I, 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 I've got, I fought Colton Orr a couple times. And um, one time in particular, I'd, I'd hammered, uh, what was his name? The, the uh, Ryan Callahan. And, and before I, I, I got a, I think I got a penalty actually on the hit. And before I could, before I could get my, I got on the ice and before I could turn around, Colton had come off the bench and he, he grabbed me and he caught me before I could like turn around and square up. And I tell this story all the time. And, and the, the rumor is about Colton is he's got like 15 plates in his right hand. Right. So he just hammers away like a jackhammer and no, he can't shatter his hand. Cause it's like pure titanium. And I can remember like 
the helmet, it was just hitting my helmet. Like it wasn't hurting, but he was hitting me so hard and so fast and my helmet was like, ching, 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 ching. And I remember just feeling the weight of these punches, like in the side of my head. I'm like, there is no way I'm turning this face to look at this guy to try to get one in. I'm like, I'm just going to pull the, pull this whole thing down. So he definitely, he definitely hit hard. Um, but I remember like, even like a guy like, like Rick Rippin, you know, and, and I, I fought everybody that's, that's gone from us now, which is, which is crazy. But like, yeah. I remember when I fought Rick, like he did, he didn't grab you and jostle you. Like when you punched, he, he went like this and then he came in with like the left, like he actually blocked and then like come across with like a hook. And these are guys that now started st- like came from boxing backgrounds or like George Peros, like Bobby, you can attest to this. Here's a guy who fought more times than any player per year. George was fighting like 35 to 42 times a year. And he never have a mark on his beautiful face. He'd, he'd very rarely ever get hit or punched. And he, he used the, a lot of the principles of judo when he fought, you know, and he was, yeah. he was incredible. I mean, just the, the way that he was able to fight the toughest people on earth. And even you talk about fighting, it's like it's such a zero-sum game. I'm talking about what Colton Orr did to me. And Peros is the guy that pretty much ends his career in Toronto. Like literally yeah. hit, caught him. Like the kind of punch. And George said this to me after he said it's the kind of punch like you don't even feel it hit. It hits so hard. You know, like when you hit a golf shot and it's the one that just goes, but it, it feels like you didn't even hit it. Yeah. Like George said, it was the same thing. He said I just I just caught him just per. He stepped into it and like and it was just it was lights out. You know, or these guys that shatter faces and I mean it's just it's a it's a crazy thing to me now looking at it that. That like you know I would bare knuckle fight in front of twenty thousand people standing <laughs> standing like you talk about UFC or boxing like they've got gloves on it's like there's rules of engagement I mean this is like this is like bare knuckle fighting and the fact that you're not allowed to hit somebody in the head with a body check but you're allowed to punch them in the face and you don't go to jail is pretty is pretty crazy is pretty crazy to me. <laughs> it, it is wild. Um, would you take fighting out of the game? I'm I'm not a proponent of taking it out. Uh, I I the Nate I like the fighting where it's like it's a spirited interaction. I've I've pushed Bobby too far. Bobby turns around and he's going to protect himself. And there's a there's a spontaneous fight. The thing that I hated, I always hated it. It made no sense to me. If like I'll just pick on George because I know he doesn't care. If George is playing a minute and a half a game, but like we go down two one and George gets put on the ice and George has to fight. Stu Grimson, they fight, and then we go back to playing hockey. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't believe yeah. there was ever momentum that's gained. Like if George, if George destroys Stu Grimson, like I'm not, I'm not feeling better the next shift. Like we're still, we're still down two to one. I don't think it like changes anything. So that fighting needs to go. But like when I watch, when I watch, for example, like Tom Wilson run around. I, I personally think like somebody needs to kick that guy's ass. You know, I, I don't like the way he plays. I think he's a rat. I, I think he's, I think, I think there's not enough guys in the league. Like he, I guarantee he's not going to do that if he's playing against Milan Lucic. Right. So like there's, there, there's, there is a thing that changed. And I just know from my own experience, if I played a team and there was nobody that could like that, I was worried about, I would run around like an absolute idiot. If, if, if like a team had a couple of guys that could really go and I knew I'd have to fight if I played like that, I'd be more, I'd be more thoughtful about what that would look like, you know, but Bobby doesn't, Bobby doesn't want me running around chasing Bobby wants George in the lineup because Bobby, Bobby doesn't want me chasing him around trying to make his life or trying to end his life when he's in the corner. You know, that's, yeah. that's no good for Bobby's game. You know, if Bobby's Bobby's there to score goals and, and do amazing things offensively, he can't be worried. He can't be worried about guys like, you know, try, trying to take his head off at the same time. So I, I, I think it is important um, if it's done right. Okay. So here, here uh, Wally is where guys like, 
guys like Sutt and I that think that there's a place and a time for it, except for the premeditated stuff. Um, the stage fighting, the, sure. The, the game is much safer when the players have an ability to police themselves because they have everything that Andy just said. So yeah. we'll get into that at some other time. But I do, but I agree with everything you just said. The game is safer yes. when you have guys like Andy and George and guys like that that can police the game without rats. Tom Wilson's an example, but I don't think he's a great example in the fact that I think he, he'll fight. The, the, the great examples are guys that won't stand up for themselves when we call them on the bullshit that happens behind plays. Like Tom Wilson will stand in there and go, you know, yeah. maybe not at Ryan Reed's level. I think they fought too anyway, but at the same time. If the world had, or if the league had more guys that lived in the world that Andy lived in and, and played in, I think the league would be safer from rats. That's just okay. my. That's just my. Old I get it. Law. No, I get it. It just seems weird that we allow violence of that nature in the middle of a hockey game. But that's true. Okay. I'll, uh, <laughs> Andy, before you go, I need to ask about your uh, hockey company. Uh, you make sticks, gloves, pants. You do socks. All like. I could be here all day telling everybody what they are, but explain to uh, us uh, what Verbero is and how you're trying to disrupt uh, the market. Yeah, I mean, so those that don't that don't know Verbero, Verbero's been around since 2000, 2008. Um, it paid into the NHL for three seasons, representing players like Cam Atkinson. Um, the brand was um, more a very roller specific. It was a Cal California upstart brand. Um, it had some some good things, um, but really, when I had an opportunity to acquire it in December of 2019, and 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 prior to acquisition of the brand, I had been I had been when I retired from the game, I did a bunch of stuff, but then I, I ended up being president of a multi-brand hockey company out of Southern California, and while I was there, I was part of some acquisitions, and and I did a lot of it was a it was a it was a small group uh, of people that ran this sort of this sort of you know mid-sized company. So I had to wear a lot of different hats, which was very valuable. I, I got to learn the ins and outs of, of really hockey retail, hockey e-commerce, you know, really, you know, manufacturing, product development, um, sourcing, uh, you know, embellishments, like literally everything that, that I applied into Verbero. So when I acquired the brand, I really realized more than anything that I wanted to solve a couple fundamental problems. One was access. I wanted to give top quality products at approachable pricing. That was fundamental to me because I knew I knew what the manufacturer cost was. And I give this example all the time. The difference between a $200 retail skate and a $1,200 retail skate is like $50 at manufacturing level. So why should the end customer have to pay $1,000 for something that costs the brand 50 bucks? That That's fundamental to me. So if like in the US, for example, our sticks are all the time at 249 retail. The competitor equivalent stick now is over $400, right? And then if you're a, if you're a team that does custom with us, and the backbone of Verbero is custom, we do custom everything. We excel in custom. I want I want our partners to have every way to to uh, to really promote themselves, every way to to show individuality, every way to make the game fun. Because I think that like the two or three striped jersey is boring. You know, we're we're really pushing the frontier there. So you know, we we offer sticks to to teams that do custom and associations that do custom with us at $159 a stick. And then on top of that, we'll do custom graphics. So that sort of embodies who we are. We're very partnership focused. We're very custom product focused. And then outs and then outside of that, um, you know, we 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 created some frameworks, some some software that that really allows the access to be easier so we have a proprietary team store platform that we utilize we have a proprietary order tracking system that communicates with customers because the other piece that i recognized in the custom world 
nobody, no, I don't ever want to deliver anything late. So for me, it's self-serving. I need to see where the orders are in process at every minute of every day. So we created an interface that connects with our, with our, with our manufacturing teams and where they're giving updates on the relative orders. And when they put the updates in, it's flagging the customer and the sales rep as to where things are in process. So now, you, now the customer has visibility, so the customer experience is better. Um, and then we really just focus on, on every aspect of caring for the customer, what they need, customer communication. I, I invest the, in the business to no end in the customer experience. That's, that's, okay. that's uh, fundamental to the business. Are your sticks any good? That's all I want to know. I will put our stick up against any of the top tier equivalent sticks from any of the other brands all, all day long, every day of the week. It's, it's a, the stick is a beast. The stick also embodies, if you think about it, we're not punch, I'm not punching holes in the blade. I'm not trying to you know, make the shaft profile less to save weight. Our stick is 350 grams. It's one of the lightest sticks on the market. It has a solid core blade and an extra spine throughout the entire shaft. So essentially I have five walls in the shaft and a solid core blade and we're still at 350 grams. So the stick is a workhorse, it's a beast. It doesn't break, it has incredible balance. It's, it, pops, it pops off the blade and like I said, I'll, I'll put it up against any top tier equivalent from the other brands. So how do you get around or how do you get past the marketing of the big two, if you will, in CCM and Bauer, true, I guess at three? Well, I don't want to give you the, the magic recipe, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell it to you like this. Those, those brands are so, they're so tired and they're so regimented in their ways. They're retail focused. So all they're trying to do is suppress retail. Well, as we all know, retail is dying. I mean, how much stuff do you guys buy on Amazon? I mean, I, I can order stuff now and it can be here before I go to bed tonight. That's the world that we live in. And then on top of that, what's the other world we live in? You can customize everything. You want custom. So I, I'm playing in a different sandbox, right? I'm taking a lot of the same products and I'm putting them in this other sandbox where it's really focused on custom, the custom side of things. The, the, okay. And for me, like I can sell sticks and, I, and that's fine. If I, I, can sell, I can sell jersey socks, shells, bags, apparel, hats to teams and associations that order that shit every single year. On top of that, we do stuff like a replica jersey fundraiser. Nobody's done this. So if you buy custom with us, we'll host jerseys online for sale. We give our association partners back the delta between cost of goods and retail. We handle that fundraiser on our side, all the individualized fulfillment. So for like the South Carolina Gamecocks last year, we put over $50,000 back in their back pocket by hosting a couple of replica jersey fundraisers for them. It's, yeah. it's just partnership-focused stuff. Um, really focusing as, as much on the on ice and, and travel accessories and the apparel as anything. And then really we're, we're the only company, a lot of companies do that on the apparel side, but then we also have the equipment and we give, we have team rewards that we put in on the equipment side, tape, laces, wax, the stick deal that I told you about really giving exclusive pricing on, on those types of products. And, and what that is, it's a, it's a, it's a reward for buying custom from us for, for buying all of your jerseys and socks and apparel and hats and all that stuff from Barbero. Uh, you can go to verbero.ca, I believe in Canada, also verbero.com in the U.S. Uh, to order if you want. I did look at the sticks earlier today. My kid, I was thinking of trying to order them for him because I'm terrible. It doesn't matter what I use. So uh, I will look <laughs> at it for him. Uh, Andy, I don't want to keep you any longer, but I, I do appreciate you stopping. Did you get, by the way, your degree? Did you finish your degree? I did. Yep. I'm, okay. uh, I'm a certified engineer, although I, although I probably wouldn't walk on a bridge if I built it. It's been a long time. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I could do, I don't know if I could do a derivative anymore. So it's, uh, I'll let you, I'll let you know if I start building any bridges anytime soon. That's awesome. Okay. Awesome. Listen, I, 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 24 games in Ottawa and you're still one of the, the most recognizable names and anybody ever brings up your name, they always say you're an expert. So, 
uh, I, I wish you would have stayed longer, but uh, we do appreciate you yeah. staying on our show longer than you uh, normally had in play. Yeah, yeah I mind, appreciate so it, buddy. You. Yeah, no, guys, it's my pleasure. And honestly, like, it, it, it feels nice to know that you leave a mark. And, and my time in Ottawa was was one of my absolute favorite times of my entire hockey career. I still remember um, you know, the first time that the, that, the, that the national anthem was being played and they're passing that giant flag around the bowl and just being a Canadian oh, kid and being there. I remember every hair on the back of my neck stood up and, and that, that senator's jersey just felt so iconic and, and, and bold and, and powerful when I put it on. And then obviously looking down the bench and seeing the players that were there, sorry, Bobby, I know you weren't there, but the, uh, <laughs> the players that were there and being, being a part of that and a part of the, that quest and you you really felt like you had a chance to win the Stanley cup was, uh, was, was incredible. So it's, it's, it was an honor. The honor was all mine and I'm just thankful that, nice. uh, that it meant something to somebody else too. Awesome. Well, we'd we'll like to have you back if you're still uh, available sometime. We need to do hour number two of the Andy Sutton. Yeah. Time. Yeah. Any, anytime, it. guys. Thanks. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you, thanks. Andy. There goes the expert. Uh, I will there say it every time with his name is Andy Sutton. Phenomenal guy. What a beauty. A great, uh, great guy. A couple of things before we go, but quickly, uh, because I didn't do it during the interview and now I'm going to get yelled at. Uh, our show was proudly presented by Botano. <laughs> go there to botano.ca there i think gavin's right on it uh download the award-winning app listen get in on the same game parlays all that stuff don't forget saturdays is trivia 9 p.m eastern uh also if you're up by 17 points when you're picking uh nfl or cfl games you've already won go check that out online look go to botano the game starts now they do phenomenal uh work by the way it must be 19 uh please play responsibly and also by bei go to bonisherhomes.com uh look for affordable housing just about an hour west of Ottawa. Plenty of floor plans to choose from. Uh, prices starting as low as $500,000. Uh, BEI Homes, they bring plenty of quality to your home. Uh, check them out at bonisherhomes.com. Okay. There, I apologize. Uh, All good. Bobby, you nailed it. Training camp. I know you want to get out of here. Training camp started. Uh, what's the first day like? with that's? And by the way, first day of training camp is medicals. Uh, yeah. You got to fill out a bunch of paperwork, right? You got to check your passports. You got to do photos. There's yeah. very little of training. It's, it's just all the, the media stuff. So yeah. uh, do you like that day or not like that day? No, it's one of the worst days of the year. You're just, you're just <laughs> on, honestly, it's, it's hurry up. They want you to answer questions as fast as you can, but then you have to get to the place to wait for 22, 30 minutes till the next one. It's just, it's a hurry up and wait day and you just can't wait to get out of there. Um, Cause you, you spend all summer. It's like the lull before you get into it. So um, today's the first day of camp when the guys are on the ice or together and uh, seeing some of the reports out of camp. It looks like it was a good first day. I just saw Chris Weidman though out for the year out indefinitely with a back injury today. Chris Weidman in Montreal, no. obviously. So I'm uh, going to try to get some insider info and text him and see how he's doing. But um, other than that, back to the sends. Um, today's the first day. To, you're, you're, you're anxious. You want to get through the first practice because you never know how hard that first practice is going to be. Do you care who your line mates are? No, not entirely. I think if you're in the top six, you kind of think about who you're, you're with. Um, I think if you're a guy that's on the cusp of making the team, you're interested to yeah. see where you start more so than the top guys. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like if, if Claude Giroux doesn't see Tim Stutzla and Brady Kachuk on his wing or on his line. Yeah. He's not right because none of them are ever. You guys don't always put lines together at the start, right? Because you want to see some young guy and see what he can do in that group. 
Well, that's the thing. You're going to look at the lines and people are going to talk about them. But at the end of the day, the first preseason game, whoever the young draft pick is, is going to go up and play on that line. Whoever can show yep. a flash of yep. offensive ability. So it, it doesn't matter. I don't like reading into things. I would like to see after the second round of cuts where things are starting to shake out. Uh, by the way, three days away now till the first uh, training camp or exhibition game, I should say. They play uh, the Leafs on Sunday, is it? Uh, the 24th? Yeah. Yeah. I think that. Yeah. Uh, and someone quickly wanted us to mention, if you haven't read Ian Mendez's article on DJ Smith and Pierre Dorian um, and what has transpired with them over the last four years and how they've struggled with their starts, uh, do that at The Athletic. But there's a question, uh, Greg Hodds. Hodgins, uh, thoughts on Ian Mendez asking Pierre if he and DJ have to audition for their jobs. I think without question, they're auditioning for their jobs, right? There's going to be change in the front office without question. That's just a fact. And so we wait to see. It's it's expected to be tomorrow, the press conference. Uh, we expect to see that serial leader is introduced at that point, And then the changes will start to happen. I don't know how long it's going to take. Michael Landlauer is not an impatient person. Uh, he's very yeah. patient. He wants to understand what is there, what he has uh, before making those moves. So I, I still expect to see Steve Stales come in uh, and maybe Shirelli. running the show. Uh, Peter Shirelli, uh, special advisor or something to that effect. Matthew Darsh is also yeah. expected probably to join the franchise, although he hasn't left Tampa, so I'm not sure. Um, and, of course, Alfie at back at some point. And, all, and what does that mean? What does that shake down? I don't know. But I suspect Ryan Bonus would still stay regardless. I think he's done a phenomenal job as a system. I would GM. expect that too. Yeah. And I don't think it's an out of line question. I think that everybody, when you get new ownership, they're going to install what they want to install. That's why they paid whatever they paid and for them to do what they want. So everybody that's not in the top six offensively and top four defensively is probably auditioning for a job, right? That's just the way yeah. it goes. And, and that carries all the way to the front office. So, everybody's probably on high alert right now. The start has never been more important. No. And if you just, uh, if you spent, and I'll say a billion dollars, although it's not all his money, but if you just paid a billion dollars for something, you want people you trust in those important positions. In every category. Yeah. We'll see how this shakes out, but you want your people that you trust. And don't forget, he's spoken with people throughout uh, and I know Peter Shirelli has been an advisor throughout this whole thing, as is Alfie, as is Cyril, uh, about what's going to what they he needs to do to run this organization. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, but yes, uh, they are totally auditioning. Although I think it's too late for Pierre. I think DJ is still auditioning. Yeah, I I could see that. I think it's sixty to ninety days before we see anything majorly yes. change. Because like I, you said, he's patient. And he's got time to he's got time to play with it. And and yep do exactly what he wants, but 60 to 90 days. And then if this team gets off to a good start, you can't argue that. Right. And this team, they're, they're primed to do so. So let's hope it does. And everybody's safe and whatnot. But uh, I tend to agree with you. I think that it's too late for a few people. And um, I think DJ has every opportunity to see this team go to the next level. There's one thing I didn't understand yesterday, Bobby. And that's, so they hire, uh, Sean Tierney as the analytics guy full-time. They've had a part-time guy named Elias. Um, and then DJ says, listen, I want the analyst guy to come to me and tell me what we're doing wrong and what the playoff teams do right and what we need to do to be more successful. You've had four years. How do you not know what your team is doing wrong? I take it. I take what he said with a grain of salt. 
because I think he would like to see, I think what he's saying is I would like to see statistically where we're falling short because if it, you, a coach can apply a, you know, implement a system, excuse me. Right. And, and if players miss out on opportunities, that's a coach's decision. But if there's a recurring underlying theme that it's a certain player and it's a certain grouping, then you can kind of go from there is what I, is what I, that's kind of what I think he's saying is like, tell me which guys are the most vulnerable in the both spots because I don't see it. I see system breakdowns. But how, Bobby, yeah. you're in a <laughs> national hockey league. How do you not know this? You've I think got you got to know I, this. Yeah, I, I think you know I, it to a degree. I think you know it to a degree. But at the same time, he can always say, well, at the end of the day, we didn't have the goaltending. Well, now we now we have that right maybe we didn't have the top four that we needed now we have that now he can actually say i have this full roster i'm starting everybody i want to start provided nobody gets hurt at camp and you knock on wood that that is the case now he can really say show me the analytics when i'm not putting out a fifth or a sixth defenseman in the two slot that's that's kind of what i think i just think you should already know it that's uh, that's all i'm saying he should be in tune with everything that's wrong and right with that hockey team i i don't disagree i really don't i don't disagree uh, we are very in tune with everything that uh, goes on here. So uh, with that, uh, we'll be back on Monday to chat more about training camp and what's going on. Hopefully Shane Pinto is in. Uh, we will see if that gets done. But there's, a, I think they got to make the trades before they sign them. I don't think they can make the deal so much afterwards. Just gives them no leverage whatsoever. I would, yeah, I would agree with that again. Yeah, you can't, you can't sign the guy. Nobody's going to bail you out. Yeah, exactly. Well, or you're going to have to way overpay, right? You're going to have to start giving up prospects or a pick or something to Picks, help yeah, yeah. alleviate the situation. All right. Very true. Uh, have a great weekend, Bob. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for watching, everybody. We appreciate All right. it. Uh, Coming in hot, presented by Botano. Thanks, everyone. Coming in hot is brought to you by Botano.ca. Please hit that like button and subscribe to our channel to never miss an episode. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.